I've always been the blackest, the youngest, the femalest, shall we say. And I think it is about the environment and how much that makes you feel like other. Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. Today's 40 Minute Mentor is the co-founder and CEO of Stemets, the incredible Dr. Anne-Marie Amaphidon, MBE. Anne-Marie is the definition of a child prodigy. She's one of the youngest people ever to pass two GCSEs in two different subjects while in primary school. And she completed her master's degree from the University of Oxford by the age of 20. Since those days, she's been knocking down walls and inspiring the next generation of women in STEM through her work with STEMETS, a social enterprise promoting women in STEM careers. Alongside her role at STEMETS, she is also the host of the Evening Standards Women Tech Charge podcast. And she recently featured on Channel 4's Countdown as part of the Black to Front initiative, filling in for Rachel Riley. It goes without saying that Anne-Marie is a true inspiration. In today's episode, we cover how she became interested in STEM. We talk about the evolution of STEMETS, from a side hustle to the success it is today. And we also cover the changes needed in the tech sector to attract more diverse talent. So whether you're passionate about STEM, you work in tech, or you're simply looking for some midweek inspiration, I know you'll take so much from Anne-Marie's advice and stories in today's episode. So sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Dr. Anne-Marie Imaphidon. Anne-Marie, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's wonderful to have you here. We always like to start the podcast with some quickfire questions so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So if it's cool, please finish these sentences for me. First up, when I was younger, I always wanted to be... <laughs> a management consultant. <laughs> ah, love it, love it. <laughs> so, that I could, so that I could manage, I could consult for Sainsbury's and get free groceries. That was the plan, age 13. Love that, love that. My first job was? Gosh, what was my first job? Probably a tutor, actually. Yeah, teaching, teaching people maths was probably my first job. Yeah. Or working at, working at the ophthalmologist. It, I don't know, work experience versus job, right? One, yeah, one or the other. Okay. I think we'll talk a little bit more about the, the math stuff in a minute, but that makes a lot of sense. When starting my career, I wish I'd have known. I wish I'd have known that there are literally no rules, but literally no rules. I wish I knew that. That is a good one. That is yeah. a very good one. I'm most energised at work when I'm... With our young people, when I'm with the Stemets. They're so cool. There's so much going on in their lives. There's so much opportunity. They bring so much to the table and it's a good time. And there's no um, hang-ups, no inhibitions, no life experiences that have ground them down. So it's actually pretty, it's uh, genuinely, if I could do, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd just sit with the Stemets. I'd sit with the girls, sit with our young people. I'd just do that all day, every day. Awesome. And finally, can you share something we couldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a perceived failure or setback in your career that you've learned from? 
<laughs> Something's not on my CV is I failed my driving test the first time round. I mean, I, <laughs> I say it all the time. No, Me I fail all the time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. everyone's like, oh, you might. And I'm like, no, I, like I'm a human being, right? I forget to brush my hair all the time. Yeah, I have loads of faith. Like, I mean, who doesn't have make mistakes on a daily basis? Like, what what is up with that if you don't? Nothing mentioned, nothing gained, right? So I think my <laughs> a failure... <laughs> I mean, whether it's forgetting to invoice particular people, not putting dates on quotes, whether it's even working with particular partners and people, getting dates wrong. I mean, what what failures have we not... What failure have I not had? Like, what, That's the question is, what have I not failed at? Love it. A refreshingly <laughs> honest answer. Thank you, Anne-Marie. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I think we've already got a little glimpse into your, your life story and we're going to dig into it a bit more now. Um, I think what not all of our listeners might know is that you are a real-life child prodigy. So I'd love to start right at the beginning and find out about life before STEMET. So I know you passed your computer A level at the age of 11, you received a master's in maths and computer science from the University of Oxford by the age of 20. How did your upbringing contribute to these incredible achievements? And how did you initially discover that interest for STEM? So the interest for STEM, I'll take it kind of the other, the opposite way around. I think the interest for STEM for me has always been about just understanding things. Like I really just like to know, oh, okay, how does that work? Like why does that work? When you put that, you know, cassette tape into that VCR player, and Lion King's up on the TV, like, how did it know where to start from? How did it know what Simone and Pumbaa looked like? How, how? And I think I'm still like that, right? I'm all, <laughs> and there's all these things happening in life, and I'm like, okay, so how did they come to that decision? Or how is that the law? Or how did that, you know, piece of technology? Or how did you make... So my thing has always been how. And so from a really young age, I was just discovering how and why. Like, why? let me take that apart. Let me, if I build the computer... You know, if we put the motherboard that way or plug that in that way, like, why does, how does that work? Why does that work? And I didn't know it was STEM or engineering. It was just the why, right? And I think when you then start to understand why, you're like, okay, so if that works like that, what can I do using that information? What can I build? What can I create? What can I make? How can I solve problems for people? And so where other children might have played I don't know, teachers in schools and lined all their teddy bears up and they were the teacher in the classroom, I was like, okay, so I'm going to make a database so we can store all the information about the kids in the classroom and their grades. And for the different teachers in the different classrooms, we can kind of store that. And then, you know, if we come back in 20 years time, we can also have the grades stored and they can know which students are in the school at that point. And that was my, I didn't know it was STEM, but that was my kind of foray into STEM. And I was really fortunate to be, to grow up in an environment where education was highly valued. And so, you know, my parents were like, well, she wants to learn the things, let's help her learn the things, because we wanted her to learn the things anyway. Uh, Nigerian parents, kind of everything is, you know, go to school, read your books, all the rest of it. Uh, although I wasn't reading books, but I was still learning. But it was definitely fortunate to be in an environment where people were able to see that I was applying that logic, whether it was in maths, whether it was in ICT, whether it was in computer science, whether it was sometimes in science as well, that I was doing that. And because I'd learned how I learned and kind of had that curiosity, it did mean that, you know, often in school I'd be class clown or I'd do other things because I'd be like, yeah, yeah, you already told us that last year. Like, I already know that. Let's, let's like do something else. Why everyone else does it? I'm going to sit here and make everybody laugh or do something different. And so it wasn't, you know, she's a problem child. It was, okay, she's already got that. 
So what more can we give her or what's the next level up? She's only in primary school, right? There's a whole world out there of other things she can learn. So what's the next thing up? And it was the GCSE, which was the first kind of tester. And then if you pass your GCSEs, what do you do next? You do A-levels. And so that was how the A-level came about. So I think, yeah, in terms of my upbringing, education was always super important anyway to my parents. But I think I was allowed to explore and I was allowed to break things and I was allowed to learn at my pace. And I wasn't, it wasn't, you can't do that. You're a girl. You can't do that. You're 10. It was, okay, cool. Well, let's give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? And I think that's why even now when I think about failure or think about making mistakes, I'm not afraid to make mistakes because it is that. What's the worst that can happen? The worst story is that it doesn't take off, right? But then it's, if I didn't pass the A-level or the GCSE, I was only 10 and 11 anyway. So you know, who's going to hold it against me? I'm a 10-year-old failed at GCSE. Like, where's the news in that? So I think, yeah, so I think that that's kind of stuck with me definitely till, till now. It's a really interesting mix there of, of, of nature and nurture and that kind of clearly that in, innate problem-solving intellectual curiosity you have and then the, 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 like, amazing environment you grew up in, you know, the psychological safety to fail, which I think is so important and sometimes that is something that can be, overlooked a lot yeah and then obviously you're just amazing ability it's 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 really it's really amazing and really unique we're going to come on to talk about diversity and especially the representation of women in stem in a minute but i'd be keen to understand how you experience studying in this field as probably one of the few women in the room and what was it like being so much younger than your fellow students when you were at university I'm used to being younger. I mean, it's still something I have now. I'm chairing a, I'm chairing a panel. I've just chaired a panel. Yesterday was kind of the, the final meeting of this panel I'm chairing for Research England and the Office for Students. And it's like an £8 million fund to improve the access and participation of Black, Asian, ethnic minority students in postgraduate research here in the UK. And you've got to think, like, I'm on that panel. I'm chairing that panel. Like, there are people younger than me on it because there are students that are also co-chairing it with me. But other than that, when I'm in these rooms making these decisions, I'm still the youngest person by a long way for a lot of these people. And that's just my MO. Like, it's been the thing for me since I was little is age is, you know, they say age is, is but a number. I mean, my age is always the, the, the lowest number in the spaces that I'm in. And it's only now, actually, I'm in these women in tech spaces and there's like the new, newish generation coming up. And it's like, yeah, actually, yeah, y'all are in your 20s and I'm not. So, okay, this is what it feels like to have younger people in the space. Um, and obviously with the Mets, right, they're all so much younger. So that's always a funny one because they're like, I was born in 2010. And I'm like, I remember 2010. So I think for me, it, it, age is, is it's another thing, but it, it often it kind of doesn't really correlate with much, I think, is, is kind of what, what I've ended up seeing and what I've ended up noticing. And so being the youngest person in my course or being the youngest person in the exams I'm in or in the company I'm working in or on the team I'm in or being the only woman, I think there's, there's so many things where I've always been the blackest, the youngest, the femalest, shall we say, and I think it is about the environment and how much that makes you feel like other for being those things. And so I was really, really fortunate, actually, really, really fortunate that at university, yeah, I was the only black person in my college or in lots of the things that I ended up in. And then I was the only girl when, you know, it was me, Clarice and Karina actually in lectures, but in shoots and other things, I was the only, the only girl and I was never made to feel like other. And I think it's a funny one where when we talk about identity, identity is so complex. Like I remember you know, you go to Oxford and you're like, you've got all these things you imagine Oxford is going to be like, like whether it's Harry Potter or whether it's still, I thought it was just going to be rich people because 
you know, I, I just thought they'd all have yachts and I don't know why, that, that was what I thought. And I remember being in one of our tutes and it turned out that our like senior tutor, so this is like a tutorial kind of thing that we do at university, but our senior tutor was the like academic sponsor for the university bell ringing society. And someone in the tutor with me was a member of the bell ringing society and someone the year above in the same course that was also a member of the bell ringing society. And I think it's so funny because you can be in that scenario and be like, I'm the only person here who doesn't bell ring. I mean, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like I grew up by the bow bells, but it never crossed my mind that there's someone that goes and rings the bow bells and they're part of a crew and they practice like all these things. And so you've got to think, yeah, I'm different in this scenario and different in this environment because I don't ring bells. I mean, that's something I could change about myself if I want to, but can I change? Will I change that I'm black or that I'm young or or that I'm female? I can't change them. And so I think Mm. over time I've ended up having to just be like, look, I can't change who I am. So if you want to other me, that's your issue and your problem, but it doesn't change the fact that I can get these things done. I can study this subject that I know what I'm talking about with computer science and with the maths. And if you can't take that, that's completely on you. It's, li- it's got nothing, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like a you problem, I think, is the way we kind of, we say it now. That sounds like a you Love problem. <laughs> and actually, there are lots of places I could be where I can apply my skills, apply my knowledge, and I can be celebrated rather than tolerated. So why don't I go there? And then when you're ready, if I want to, if I've got the time, the capacity, the space or the desire, I'll be back. But actually, I need to be somewhere that I'm going to be able to flourish. And I think that's, again, something that I was really fortunate. I mean, I know this now talking to all kinds of different people, really, really fortunate to have such a positive experience on my maths and comp course, even at work, um, you know, being promoted, being listened to, being respected. So yeah, for me, it's, it's, I, I don't take it, it's a privilege in itself, right? I don't take it for granted that I'm never made to feel like other in a way that then I'm, I shrink in a space. Or if I have been, I mean, it's a lie. I mean, if I am, then I, I, go, I have the agency to get out and I'm like, okay, forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, so much what you said, I think there's going to be people nodding away, listening to this and finding that really em- empowering and inspiring. So thank you. We've got to talk about STEMETs. I mean, eight years ago, you created this fantastic social enterprise dedicated to inspiring the next generation of women in STEM. I'd love to learn more about that that journey and what, and what the future holds for, for you and the team. So, so how did it come about? Tell our listeners a bit about some of your favourite moments from the last eight years. Favourite moments from eight years, goodness. So how did STEMETs come about? Short story is I was loving my job, doing really well at it, ended up at a conference in the States to speak about what we were doing. And this was kind of before we had Facebook Workplace and kind of slack actually we were using social media and social network type technology internally to communicate in quite a big organizations kind of what we do and so i ended up on this panel talking about this alongside people from facebook and some of the other companies that were developing this and looking into it and i'd gone to the conference because i was like hey like someone's paying for my travel i get to go to america i'm gonna speak at this conference and it turned up and it's uh it's this grace hopper celebration of women in computing there's three and a half thousand technical women there i've never been in an environment like that all women, all technical, like when, you know, we're talking about shoes in the queue for the loo, as much as we're talking about, you know, amazing talk by the head chief data scientist at Bitly, who's like covered all these insights from the data and, you know, the data scientist art meets computer science, meets statistics and all this kind of stuff, right? And I remember being in that environment being like, oh my goodness, who knew, if things, who knew this was what 
things could be like. Like I've never, I've never known I was a woman in tech. I've never been in a female majority technical space. I feel like this is what people imagine London Fashion Week is like. And they're like, I want to go into fashion so I can be, you know, those parties. They had like parties that different tech companies were paying for. Like Google takes over like the middle of the town. There was a, you had a secret word to go to the Pinterest party in this hotel. And you'd go up and dream. I mean, literally, it was literally like that. (laughs) But for women in tech, and I was like, oh my goodness, who knew? And so got back to the UK and was like, wow, like we have this problem who is if we that would solve it like if people were able to just come to these really cool environments that were female majority that were technical why wouldn't you want to end up doing this for a living and be paid really well to just tinker with the tech and so the next was like i mean literally and so the next was like a dial down it's a no-brainer but let's test it out right let's let's see how this goes i'm a young person at that point i was 23 people give you money to solve problems if you're a young person because you're a young person right and so i was like okay let me get all the young person help i can get and let me give this a go. I called it the Stemets Project. And I was like, fine. We had a massive exhibition show as part of that conference. Let me put one of those on for young girls. We had a panel. We had lots of panels. I was on a panel. So let's put a panel together for them. There was a hackathon. So let's put a hackathon together for them. You know, we can't give them alcohol or coffee, but we can give them sweets. That's the equivalent, right, for children. So why don't we have a load of sweets, a load of laptops, a load of, I think at that point, Justin Bieber. And let's see what happens. And it was kind of, we were saying just before, like I, I called it, it was the Stemex project. I didn't say this is going to be it and forever I'm going to be head Stemet and you know, this is my life's calling. But it was like, okay, let's give it a go. Let's see how it see how it pans out. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It was a monster. I basically called it a monster for first year because it kind of just ran away with itself. People got excited, people turned up. We had like partners like Vodafone turned up and Bank of America and all these different people were coming along and there were girls from all over and we're getting emails and getting tweets and getting... And then we got an email and I was at number 10. We'd launched in February and I was at number 10 by the December with like Michael Gove, David Willits, all these serious people. Yeah, they called me, we were there was me and like one of the other women in STEM groups. They called us the insurgency in the corner. But it's pretty funny because we were like there in number 10 at a serious meeting about this national problem we have, which, you know, it's it's moving moved on and, and evolved slightly since then. But yeah, that was how STEMX came about. So it was kind of like, okay, cool. At the end of the first year, I was knackered. I still had my job. That I really loved, where I was listened to and respected, and was a bit like, okay, so I can't believe this. Leave is a proper side hustle at this point. Is a it wasn't even hustle. a side hustle. It was like a, it was a New Year's resolution. You know, some people say, I'm going to yoga more this year. I was like, I'm going to stem its project this year, right? Like a normal project is, I don't know, make a blanket or macrame or you know, plant a garden. And I was like, stem it. So it was only for the year. It wasn't a side hustle. It was, I was going to give this a go. And by the end of the year, I was like, yeah, look, I need to sleep and I have a job and no, <laughs> I'm going to kill it off. And everyone was like, you can't do that. And I was like, well, someone has to pay somebody to do this because I can't do this because I have a job and I'm a woman in tech. Like, I can't leave <laughs> as I'm no. encouraging other people to come in. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, that was that was the first year. And then in eight years, it's obviously evolved. Like, the, the team, it's crazy. The team is 18 now and I always said I didn't want it to be more than 10. I've obviously now gone full time, which... I had to do for my sanity and also because the upside on being at Stemets was even more major and had more impact than what I was doing as much as I loved it in my in my role and in my job where I was working and I think the highlight for me has been it's just been the nature of the opportunities that we've been able to give these young people and I think it, it's it's not just the profile of the opportunities it's not just the 
adult certifications that they've been able to do that kind of echoes or that definitely echoes my childhood. But I think it's the it's the fellowship, it's the community, it's the network, it's the peer group that we've been able to create, the cohort that we've been able to create time and time and time again, which means that, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this next generation that we have coming into technology, they've got something that previous generations didn't have in the opportunities we've given them, in the discussions that we've had, in the media that we've got, in the peer support that they have. And I think for me, that's the most, that's the biggest thing of it. I mean, you know, it's great to sit at the hacks with them and the kids are hilarious and like, you know, the five-year-olds come in and they make apps about talking fruits and it's the funniest thing and they giggle their whole way through their presentation and it's nice because, you know, they're giggling like a five-year-old would giggle with this unicorn on an app, but they've made an app. Like, at the end of the day, that's what they spent the weekend doing, making unicorn apps with talking fruit, which is hilarious. But that's a really positive STEM experience they have, which loads of people are like, I hate it maths at school, and that's, like, the end of it. Where they're like, I hate it maths at school, but actually this app thing I made was pretty cool. And what, you pay me how much to do that? all the time okay cool well I can switch out the unicorn for data and I can switch out the talking apples for graphs so you know I think yeah there's so many things but I think it is that peer network it is that confidence and community that we've been able to build with those young people oh it's so inspiring I, I, I am embarrassed to say this in front of you but I was one of those people that was rubbish well felt I was rubbish in maths and really didn't engage <laughs> with it and and much to my dad's disgust kind of and it, a bit like your upbringing an Indian dad you know who wants me to be very I good mean, at, at all academic things so yeah. I, I fell into that trap and I can't help thinking if I'd have had that I mean I have a five-year-old daughter who I'm gonna 100% get to check this out I mean unicorns and like and sweets them. you know these, I mean, this is, whatever these the team is things. it's always unicorn the whatever it is the kid that was healthy eating and a unicorn ended up and we're always like what is it with you and unicorns Amazing. but yeah you're I think um, yeah you're right you're right I think it's the experience that so many people have in school I mean I liken it to like dance or even sport like you not every singer or sorry not every dancer or not every sports person did really well at PE but they had another place to explore that and I think this is what we have with STEM is where there is the formal education system and yeah and if maths doesn't work for you in the classroom that's fine but it doesn't mean maths doesn't work for you full stop it just means it didn't work in the classroom and I think, yeah, being able to give folks an alternate space to explore that is super important. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just wanted to give a special shout out and thanks to our sponsors for this series, Chipper Cash. The team have been on an incredible journey, having launched their borderless way to send money across Africa and beyond in eight countries so far and are widely considered to be Africa's most valuable startup. So go check them out at chippercash.com or tune in to our 40-minute mental episode with their co-founder and CEO, Ham Serenjoji. Well, clearly Stemets has kind of, it has grown and grown and grown and, and, and turned into this incredible business or incredible company that has inspired so many people. But I know as a founder of a business that's similarly eight and a bit years old that it's not all smooth sailing when it comes to startups. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you've had to face and, and how have you overcome them? People. I had my boss said to me, <laughs> it's just the girls, Amri, people are messy. And I was like, right, OK. And it's one of those things that like almost every day something happens. And, and the way I explain it to people, like maths is simple, right, compared to life. I say it to people all the time. If uh, When two plus two, when they discovered that the first time, two plus two is four, 
like that person is dead, gone. Like we don't even remember their name. And someone's going to be born today and two plus two will be four for kind of the right values, the right sizes of two for that person's lifetime, right? That's a constant. It's a solid. It's done. Where at hers, if I see a member of my team today and I say hi, and I see them tomorrow and I say hi, the response I get is very, 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 very different. And I think it's one of those things over time where that, I think as an entrepreneur, like they always say about people, your biggest resource and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's, you're trying to corral, you can't do everything on your own. And so you're trying to gather a group of people to be able to help you effectively do what it is that you were going to do or you wanted to do in exchange for paying for their rent and ensuring they've got food and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But also, you know, we take our culture super seriously, which is why I didn't want more than 10 people because there's, my arms can only go so far, right? Around 18 people. And so I think, yeah, that the toughest thing has been whether it's making the right hiring decisions, whether it's, you know, we've now got a paid menstrual leave at Stemets where, you know, that's just a thing that folks are having to deal with. And we're like, what's one other way that we can make life just a little bit easier for you as you've made life a little bit easier for, for us? And I think it's been so hard to handle you know, hiring, people on the way out, you know, just people managing, people growing, people learning, people's priorities shifting. I think that's probably been the toughest thing has been, you know, we call, I call them teams to met and just trying to keep teams to met happy in addition to keeping the young people happy, in addition to keeping partners, clients, suppliers happy, in addition to keeping, you know, society happy. When we turn up in media and people are frustrated, I don't know, the fact that we use non-binary, you know, as as if it's a normal word like we should. And it's like every time we tweet and include non-binary in it, there are people, you know, there's all these people to keep happy, but it's ultimately business is, is about people, especially with what we're doing. We're trying to change hearts and minds. We're trying to change cultures. We're trying to change the way that people make decisions about their own lives, right? And so I think the hardest bit has been dealing with people. And I'm a mathematician, I'm a computer scientist, right? This is still my my lifelong psychology <laughs> experiment of like, okay, so if you say hi on a Tuesday, is that what it is? <laughs> like, what, what's the rule here? What's the maths? What's the logic? You know, what's know, the algorithm? You can't always apply some of this stuff to, to people because they are, <laughs> they change their minds and they do. Do you know what, Amory, this is so interesting. I mean, it's amazing how, I always like to ask this question because this podcast is all about actually like, the real, not just the great stuff, but also the things that are difficult and learning from them and, and getting mentorship from brilliant people like yourself. But people, that is often the answer to that question. And it is for me too. It's the best bit of my job and it's probably the worst bit too because it's so important and it's and 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 there's so many different variables. So that thank you for sharing that because I think that will resonate with a lot. Is there anything on the people side? Is there anything that you've that's helped you deal with some of those challenges? Is there anything particular that's kind of, that you could pass on to other entrepreneurs listening to this from a people perspective? I think it's, it's don't take things personally. I mean, in fact, that probably that shouldn't start the piece of advice there. I think it's listen, like you have to learn to listen and you have to learn to listen, not so you can give an answer, but so you can hear and you can understand. So listen for understanding to people. Don't listen so you can solve their problems. And I think it's a thing for relationships in general anyway, but I think even more so when you've got people you're working with, like sometimes, you know, there are things that they're telling you or there are things that they're sharing with you that you won't agree with, that you won't even fully understand, that you won't 
maybe even ever understand. I mean, there's so many conversations that I end up having with the team and it's been really interesting during the pandemic actually because this has happened much more than it did when in person because in person you can see them and you can kind of observe them outside whereas, you know, in the pandemic it's just been like what's in the box when we, when we get on the box. But I think there's so much that you can learn about people's fears and people's confidences and people's aspirations if you just listen. And often, you know, the answer is in the doing, it's not in what you say back which I think is the other thing that folks kind of, and, you know, diversity work, and there's so much of this of like, what do I say? But, you know, I want to say that. And it's like, no, don't say the right thing. How do you do the right thing again and again and again? And you can only do the right thing if you're listening and you're listening to understand so you can do, and you're not listening to just say something back. And I think that's something that folks miss out. It's something that I do need to, you know, sometimes I, I often end up kind of having to hold myself and be like, I'm just going to sit and listen and let that person just talk it out and let that person say what they need to say. And whether, I mean, the most recent example was time tracking. So we've had to start time tracking folks at, uh, in Team Stemet because we need to budget for how long it takes them to do things and make sure that we know that we can afford for them to do certain things or not do other things. So we don't promise partners, I don't know, that we're going to send a press release if we know that, that costs us an extra three hours. Like, that's, that's what it is. And I ended up having a really big conversation with certain members of the team about you know, time tracking, running counter to everything else we have in our culture because we're really not, I'm not a micromanager, like I can't, I, I have the capacity, right, to watch you every minute and the rest of it. So why would I time track you? And it's quite interesting listening to the fears and being like, okay, cool, that's a fear I would have never, there are certain things I said that I was like, I would have never thought that that was a fear. But if that's a fear for you, okay, cool. So what do I now do because that's a fear? It's not what am I going to say? I'm not going to say don't fear that because that's not what I'm going to do. But what do I now do? What do I create? What structures do I put in place? What process do I write down? So then you can see that, I've heard your fear. It's valid because it's one you had. I'm going to write it down. And as silly as it might sound to me, that I don't know, we're going to, I can't remember what it was that you're going to, we're going to punish you or whatever it was. It's like, why would I punish you? Like, I'm not your parent or your teacher. I might be your boss, but I'm not really going to punish you for taking 45 minutes instead of 15 minutes like on the Tuesday because I know people are messy. So there might be something else that happened on the Tuesday, right? So I think it's about writing it down and being like, okay, cool. So you can go and use the toilet. Literally, I think at one point, I, I think I literally wrote this in the process document. I was like, you can use the loo and leave the time tracking running because you're allowed to use the loo or cough or sneeze while you're at work. And it's like, I'm going to put it there and I'm going to write it in. And this is a genuine thing that you genuinely felt and I've genuinely heard you. And we're genuinely going to put that in. So I think you have to listen to understand so you can do. Don't just talk the talk and do Billy Big Balls with, with the talking. Yeah, great. I love that, Amory. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some really interesting learnings in there. And I think, I think that's something I've learned. I think as a leader, you evolve. And I think in the early days of JVM, I definitely was wanted to be there for everyone all the time, and like always had an answer for things. And actually, there's nothing wrong with just listening and reflecting, and then coming back and showing that you've taken it on board, uh, and also creating the environment where your team can have a voice and actually you know, not be afraid to voice their opinions on stuff. I think that's so important. I wanted to talk about women in STEM. It, it's a well-talked about topic, but from your perspective as a real shining light in this space, like what are, in your opinion, the biggest barriers for entry for women looking to get into STEM and, and how how does this differ for women from underrepresented communities? So the biggest barrier is the industry itself. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> how long do we have i mean it's the way we hire <laughs> the way we make decisions the assumptions we have in what it means to be technical but then go into you know the management experience i mean i, I once wrote an article that said kind of the glass ceiling is made up of bad managers 
And it's so funny because every now and then I see other people, they don't reference it necessarily, but they get them. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this whole time it's just been, you know, your experience with your manager is pretty much the biggest key to whether you stay or whether you go. And also whether that person, you know, whether you get promoted and end up in the leadership position, which is another place that you can get influence versus whether you see others get promoted and then you get frustrated and then you go. So I think, you know, the, the biggest barrier is the industry itself and the way that we kind of just make assumptions about the shape of a technical person. It's like, can you make an assumption about someone who speaks English? No. So why why do we do that with someone who speaks the, the technical language, if we want to kind of take that analogy? So I think I think that's the biggest problem. It's our processes, it's our practices, it's our norms, it's our assumptions, it's the culture we have that values the kind of brilliant genius, brilliant lone genius. And what I've ended up, what we end up kind of calling kind of the brilliant jerks over the fact that technology now is not just for technologists. Like, you know, I studied computer science. We were in the lab. We were tinkering. We were playing. We were making robotic this, that, and the other for making its sake. And now it's no longer just about us and tinkering and playing. Like, this has big economic, big social, big political, big ethical. There there are those implications for anything you create as a technologist in the 21st century. It's just that, you know, if you don't like that, you should go back and you should have been there at the beginning when it didn't matter, right? When no one was using these things. And if you take that seriously, then it has to be of, of utmost importance that you don't just hire in this one tiny image because that one tiny image doesn't reflect where the technology is being used, doesn't reflect the harm that technology can do. And I think when we narrow down in on, on women from underrepresented groups, I think it's that even more so that these are women who, you know, they're, a, they're part of a global majority, but historically have been overlooked in our, the way we perceive reality, right? The, the, the black woman is invisible in so many different spaces, even though we are, we are there. Why wouldn't we be technical? But, you know, if we look across those underrepresented groups, women with disabilities, like there's, there, you know, it's only one, there are nine protected characteristics in the Equalities Act in the UK, and this varies kind of across the world, but there are nine here. So you can be a woman and eight other things, right? And yeah, it's like, no, woman, the woman, the one woman, like you speak on behalf of all women. And so I think the issue is that if you're not considered to even be part of the team that creates that technology, how can we be arrogant enough to assume that you'll be considered in the users of that technology or the implications of that technology being used? And with the fact that it's so ubiquitous, it's being used everywhere, it's being made, you know, used to make decisions to restrict, to rate, to recommend, to review, like all these different places we're now using technology in this fourth industrial revolution means that now that opportunity to be underrepresented and to be forgotten is being scaled up, right? We used to do it in analog as humans, and now we're training the computers to do it en masse. So I think that's the issue. That's the problem. And I think it's that lack of, there's a lack of respect and there's there's a narrow vision or narrow definition of excellence. And that is what is getting in the way for women in tech and particularly women in underrepresented groups. Yeah, th- thank you for sharing that. And and I think for there are going to be founders listening to this, hiring managers listening to this. If, we, if we're speaking directly to them, what, what can they do to do more to support women looking to progress their careers in tech or looking to progress their careers in those companies? Are there particular things they should be thinking about or, or acting on, upon? So there's quite a few things. I mean, the, there's, you want to kind of, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? So you want to take in, like, what are different forms of excellence? Where are the different places that I can be hiring people from? What are the different 
and people talk about that like, you don't want to lower the bar. It's like, okay, cool, but what, where, where did that bar come from in the first place, right? So what are the different bars that you want to apply to bring people in? And is it just one door that you need to have coming into your organization? Or do you need four, five, six different doors, different routes for people to access where if they didn't choose computer science as a 13-year-old, because that's essentially kind of what we ask of people at the moment. And you I mean, when you're 13, how, how are we even making decisions anyway? You know, if someone didn't, didn't do that, then what are the alternate routes that you can have to look for that excellence and look for difference? So whether it's reading something like Invisible Women to kind of understand a little bit more about the, these women who have been invisible and how you can kind of counter your lifelong training to ensure you see the women that are around you that have the value, whether it's watching things like Coded Bias to be able to understand, you know, why this is an important thing for you to do in technology and, and again, see those you know, we talk about role models so much for young people and for girls, but no, you need to see the role models of, okay, what, what, what's the new data set I can bring in to pattern match against to then make these right hires and, and do these things correctly. But I think it's also, you know, it's, this shouldn't just be a work thing. I speak so much to audiences about, you know, having a balanced diet, not just at work and in your hiring decisions, but in your life and the media that you consume and the way that you spend your money and the way that you select suppliers and where you buy things, the way that you make decisions, you know, if it's Black Ballad or, you know, what are the different spaces that you can go to to buy things differently, take information, read the news from a different perspective and understand difference so that then you can value it and you can say, okay, cool, just because that person didn't go to Oxbridge or just because that person isn't a gamer, like, how is that, you know, the real quite like that we have. So just because those people haven't done those things doesn't mean just because that person's loud or just because that person was a dancer doesn't mean that there's nothing that they can apply in this cyber context or in whatever you're hiring. So I think it's just seeking difference, looking for difference, embracing difference, celebrating difference and building for difference is what you need to be consciously doing. And the final thing I'll say on that is a hiring manager, a manager, an employee, CEO, whoever it is, everyone has a sphere of influence. And the culture is the average of all of our actions. So every time you make a decision, every time you have an interaction, every time you click on something, every time you respond, every time, a bit like spell check, right? Every time you write a document, you're spell checking. How are you checking for that difference or checking for that, you know, belonging to different types of people every time you make a decision, every time you're in that promotion round, every time you're in a meeting and asking someone for their opinion, how do you make sure that you're continuously going for difference and you're kind of building this muscle so then when you come to hiring, it's not the first time that you're like, oh my goodness, now I have to consider someone who is Indian. How am I going to do this? How do I approach them? What do I say to, you know, if you've, if you've spoken to the, the people you already have, then it's not going to be a new thing, right? So yeah, build the muscle. Brilliant. Thank you, Amory. That's, that's amazing. And uh, I'm sure uh, hopefully everyone listening to that will really, really uh, uh, agree with that and, and and also learn from it. Before we wrap up, I, I mean, I could chat to you forever, but sadly, we're getting towards the end here. And I wanted to just shine a little bit of a light on your fantastic podcast, Women Tech Charge for the Evening Standard, which I know you do in partnership with them. You've interviewed some amazing guests, including Alice Bentink from Entrepreneur First, who also appeared on 40 Minute Mentor last series. One, how has the podcasting experience been for you? And are there any particular, I know it's a bit of an unfair question, but are there any particular guests that have really stood out, really inspired you and why? <laughs> Your favourite children. I mean, I can't, I can't pick a favourite favorite child. I mean, it's it's been fun to do. I love talking, as you can tell. And talking to them has been really cool because... I think with the podcast, the whole, I mean, it's called Women Tech Charge because it's about women who've taken charge using tech. And there's so many different ways to do it, so many different pathways, so many different forms of excellence, I think. And it, I, it's, 
I'm glad it's out there and it's public as a kind of an example of all of them, that no story is the same. Like everybody's done something completely different. Some of them were lawyers, one of them studied computer science, some of them, you know, literally, did she, it was, it's borrow my doggy. Like it's about getting communities to talk to each other because they borrow their dogs. And it's like, these are all different forms of excellence, different things that provide value to different people. And so for me, it's been really, I've been really fortunate to work with the Evening Standard on it and to have the, these discussions with, with lots of different types of people, but to learn so much from them because then like you're, you're hearing about, I don't know, the special effects for Disney's Mandalorian or, you know, the, how we have deep fakes because of autistic children learning about facial expressions, right? And it's like, what? Like, how is that on the same podcast, right? And so there's, and there's, these are all women that have done these things. So it's like, it, it, they're not, they didn't do that because they were women, but it happened to be women that were applying the technology in a particular way that meant that now we've got AI that means that we don't have to do end of term assessments for children. We can check them as the term goes along. So for me, you know, there's not one particular favourite. There have been some hilarious moments. I mean, learning that GCHQ has a Greg's inside was 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 pretty hilarious. It's really? Something to, kind of, that yeah, is, something to start with. That is reason to sign up right now, anyone. I mean, anyone why not, right? <laughs> and they all need clearance as well. So there's Greg's people who have clearance to be able to serve the, the GCHQ wow. like sausage rolls. Like, there's all these That's things amazing. that you pick up. And so for me, it's it's been, it's been a delight to do. It was fun to do it. It was funny to do it during lockdown as well. That was pretty... Interesting, as you know, podcasts during lockdown when you're not sat with someone is kind of, you know, when do I speak? When do they speak? All these kinds of things. But I think it's been it's been fun and, and there's been so many random things that have come off it. So for example, Rachel Riley was one of the guests and and now I'm doing countdown. <laughs> Really? Oh, amazing. That's class. So it's all these random things, yeah, that have come out of here. That is like, what? How is that even, like, why is that even a thing? So, yeah, so it's just great conversations. I think people enjoy it because we also break it down, which I think sometimes as well with tech media, it can be a bit like we're going to use all the long words and all the jargons and Bitcoin, 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 blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. And it's like, no, let's just cut cut away. Like, what are we actually talking Mm. about here? Awesome. And I I have very similar experience to myself uh, it, it's kind of like my mini mba interviewing all you brilliant people and kind of learning learning uh, bits bits and bobs here and there and i know it's incredibly inspiring and it is cool for two minute mentor i've got to ask you as we wrap up with our final quick fire three questions do you have a mentor and if there was anybody in the world you could be mentored by who would it be so yeah, I've got loads of mentors. I've always, always had loads of mentors. I mean, if you don't, I want to know how you're doing it without mentors because it's kind of, I don't know what happens next. Day to day, I don't know. I don't know. Like, why not get a second opinion or a third opinion or a 15th opinion on what's happening next? If I could do anyone, I think it would be Rihanna. At this point, it would be Rihanna. There's been quite a pivot. Quite Indeed. a turnaround. Yeah. Quite a trajectory. Quite... A very high achiever. Yeah. A journey. Achiever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know my number one question? I mean, if Rihanna's listening to this, you know, fair play to you as well, James. Of course if Rihanna she is, is listening of course to she. this, yeah. <laughs> is when did you know that was what you were you, like? Was that the plan from the beginning? The master plan. Master right? Plan. That you were going to turn a music career around into the Rihanna career that you've had? Like, what, when, at one point? Because I don't, day to day, I have no idea what's happening next. I don't know. Like emails come in and I'm like, okay, we'll give that a go. Or no, I'm offended you asked. Like I'm never like the big plan is I'm going to tell everybody makeup that for the first time actually works for everybody. And then I will be a billionaire. And then what's next? Like, do you know what I mean? Is she going to be our overlord? Like what what is it? Where are we going? So that would be it. 
I mean, I mean, the I only way know. for us to know the answer to that is to get on the pod. So anyone that yeah. knows Rihanna listening, Riri. give me a call. Let's get this sorted. Robin, get, get involved, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess she has an incredible legacy. How, how do you want to be remembered at the end of your career? I mean, it would be lovely. It's ambitious. It'd be lovely to remember it as like, yeah, we don't need to, we don't talk about that women in tech thing anymore because that they kind of did it and solved it and, and did it. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'm unsure about legacy, about my, what I want to be remembered for. I think there's things that I'm already beginning to see. I got a tweet yesterday. So one of our young people who's been with us for ages tweeted me yesterday. It was like, I'm about to go off to university and do computer science and I wouldn't have been able to do it if not for you guys. And I think it's things like that that I'm like, do you know what? I could die happy because... It's been fifty more than 50,000, I guess, at this point, of people who just had these opportunities they wouldn't have had, met people they wouldn't have met, got to see themselves differently. And I mean, what what more? That's why people have children, right? You want to kind of leave an imprint and leave a little bit of you. And I feel like there's a tiny, teeny part of the Stemet spirit. I'm not going to say it's Anne-Marie, but like the tiny bit of Stemet that's in these young people. I almost, I like, I don't feel like I need to have children. I mean, at this point, I've said this in public now, my mom's going to kill me. But, you know, ethnic <laughs> <laughs> parents, you can't say that, right? But I think my legacy, there's already a legacy or that's already there. I'm already beginning to see that impact on the next generation. And I'm already beginning to see that they see that as part of just them and their careers, that why wouldn't they bring others up with them as they've been brought up? So I, I think I'm already, I could die happy today from the impact we've already had, although it would be nice to kind of just done yeah you should be so proud of that yeah you've already built an incredible legacy and i guess you know there's hundreds of thousands more young people that can can be inspired by you uh so long may that continue our final question amory for any of our listeners thinking about a career in stem what final piece of advice would you leave them with don't do it alone find your tribe there are so many groups so many communities online offline everywhere Find a crew to do it with. And um, when you go on your own, you go fast. And when you go together, you go further, I think is the proverb. So find a tribe, find people to learn with because it will enrich your experience. It will give you perspectives that will be useful when you do end up building whatever it is that you're doing in tech or across STEM. And it's more fun. Like It's, it's not about the lone genius, right? It's all about collaboration and working together. So why not find a tribe and enjoy yourself as you go on this journey? What a wonderful place to leave it. Thank you so much, Amory. It's been a real pleasure. Wishing you all the best for the year ahead. And um, yeah, look forward to hopefully doing this in person one day. <laughs> what does that mean? What does IRL mean? <laughs> oh, I know, God. One day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amory. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.